disclaimer! Most of the world doesn't share your opinion. Warning. Proceeding without caution will bring you into spoiler territory for the media displayed on screen. Timestamps are gifted in the description and comment section. Viewer discretion is advised. Batman 1966 would eventually see the day of cancellation when its ratings were slowly dropped and eventually not enough people were watching to continue the show. This left Batman out of the limelight for over 20 years. Of course, comics were still being made and Batman was slowly rising out of the camp-infested pit that it was shoved into by Batman 66, but the mainstream still viewed the character as his corny, cartoony guy while only comic book readers got to truly experience Batman's worth. And being a comic book reader around 1960, 1970, 1980 was a fucking deadly sin. Obviously, I didn't grow up around that time, but from what I've heard, if you went to school and mentioned that you read comic books, you'd get fucking ridiculed. So for many years, the majority of the world really didn't care about Batman. That was until summer of 1989 when Tim Burton would release his own Batman movie and coming after Batman 66, this was the darkest fucking shit anybody in the mainstream has seen when it comes to Batman. The beloved movie was followed up with three really questionable sequels that would slowly run Batman back into the grave. So in today's video, I'll be going over all four movies and giving my thoughts on them individually and then overall. Batman was released on June 23rd, 1989, and follows the story of a mob gangster by the name of Jack Napier, played by Jack Nicholson, turning into the Joker during a heist at Axis Chemicals due to Batman, played by Michael Keaton. The film then shows Joker plotting his evil towards Gotham City and having Batman come save the day, all while a reporter by the name of Alex Knox, played by Robert Wool, and photographer Vicky Vale, played by Kim Basinger, trying to figure out who Batman really is. And now, for one of my most controversial takes ever, this movie's boring. Now, to be fair, I don't hate this movie, nor do I hate everything about it. Danny Elfman's soundtrack in this movie is phenomenal, and the Batman theme is absolutely iconic and deserves to be. Let's go! This song is great. Being completely honest though, I only knew that theme because of the Lego Batman video game from 2008. <laughs> also, the Batmobile is the biggest highlight of the Tim Burton movies. I don't care if it's unrealistic and seems like absolute hell to drive it. I wanna drive it! I think the opening of this movie is really great with the subversion of expectations. Even for me re-watching this movie, I forgot what the opening scene was and thought it was gonna show Batman's parents getting killed but we don't see that until way later in the movie. Gotham looks so dope, like it came straight out of a comic book, and I also think the cinematography in some scenes are absolutely beautiful, especially the one with the Joker after he kills Carl Grissom. Speaking of the Joker, Jack Nicholson's performance is absolutely amazing, and he really steps up his role during the final scene right before his death. His introduction scene is a lot of fun and really believable. His reaction to Bruce talking about Jack always gets a laugh out of me. Mean kid, bad seed, hurt people. I like him already. <laughs> the way he describes himself is very Joker-like. I am the world's first fully functioning homicidal artist. And when he says, You idiot! 
I can hear the inspiration from his performance that no doubt went into Mark Hamill's iconic take. Michael Keaton is another one where I didn't think I was gonna like him, but he ended up being a very believable Bruce Wayne. Him as Batman is a different story, though. I will say his opening line is a bit scary, I guess, for 1980s time. What are you? I'm Batman but I think it more comes from the fact that he's hanging a guy from a rooftop. But for the rest of the movie, he's just kind of a man in a suit. I, I never really feel threatened by him, and it's kind of hard when the dude looks like this. No, 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 no. I want you to keep looking at that. I want you to know that people genuinely think that's terrifying. Now, the two biggest problems I have with the plot of this movie is Joker being the murderer of Batman's parents, which none of the blame goes to Sam Hamm, because he stated he didn't want to do that at all. And the second one is, uh, Batman kills in this movie. I mean, it's not as bad as in other occurrences, but it's still a glaring fucking problem, especially when it's the main plot point of the film. He may also kill in Batman Returns, which he shouldn't, but it doesn't bother me as much as it does here, because in this movie, he's specifically wanting to kill the Joker, and does. And besides, Batman Returns has a lot more things about it that bother me more. There's also little things in here in the universe that make absolutely no sense, like I guess Thomas and Martha Wayne are fucking nobodies. Like, are the Waynes popular, or are they not popular? Some characters are like, oh, I know who Bruce Wayne is, and some people are like, who the fuck's Bruce Wayne? And then some people have no idea who he looks like. Who the fuck are the Waynes in this universe? Isn't Thomas, Martha, and Bruce supposed to be, like, really famous in Gotham? Another problem I have with this movie is it's praised to be such a dark take on Batman, and I get that, given how it came out after the Adam West Batman, but let, let, let's take a look at some comics that came out prior to this movie. Dark Knight Returns, 1986. Killing Joke, 1988, where, in fact, Tim Burton can be found on the cover of. Death of the Family was originally gonna be here, but either Google or Alex is fucking dumb, because somehow Alex got the idea that the comic was released in 1988, which actually it was released in 2012 and Death in the Family was released in 88, which is a completely different comic. I guess that comic still counts in this list, but it's a fucking kiddie pool compared to Death of the Family. Anyways, back to this dumb fuck's point. As you can see, Batman kind of got dark again in the comics, so why is this movie so campy in a dark tone? But let's go under the assumption that Batman still wasn't taken serious in movie form. Okay, fine. That could genuinely be the case. I don't know. Also, I've heard that Tim Burton just doesn't read comics, and that's really fucking apparent in these two movies, so that could also probably be the case. This movie is still boring as all hell. The only time this movie is ever the slightest bit of entertaining to me is when Joker is on screen. Batman. Batman. Can somebody tell me what kind of a world we live in where a man dressed up as a bat gets all of my press? This town needs an enema. Well, except for his big two scenes that were soundtracked by Prince. 
Other than that, it's kind of a chore to get through. The love dynamic between Vicky and Bruce is just kind of half-assed and unbelievable. The comedy in this movie is kind of... Eh, best is when Bruce or Joker is delivering the jokes. And the action is just kind of boring. And I get that it's from 89. I wasn't walking into this movie expecting some fucking Batman 21 type shit. And that it's kind of impossible to do roadhouse action in a suit where you literally have to move your entire body to just look up. So I can just chalk it up to 80s superhero movies not really aging that well action wise but it still doesn't make them enjoyable for me. Speaking of the suit, it's, uh, kind of trash. Not not cosmetic-wise, like, cosmetically the suit looks amazing, but it's so stiff, and I'm surprised you can get any movement out of it. This doesn't go against the movie, obviously. It just makes Batman look like a major fucking dork half the time. Whether that be for good or for bad, you decide. On another note, my biggest problem with the Joker is how his whole plot motive is just that he's a narcissist and that he's horny. Like, like, like this is what you did to such a complex character. Speaking of Joker being horny, uh, this is the worst scene in the movie. My god, it makes me uncomfortable. Please stop. But overall, the movie's not bad by any means. And I understand completely that without this movie, there would be no Dark Knight trilogy, meaning there would be no Heath Ledger Joker. There would be no Batman the Animated Series, which means there would be no Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, which means there would be no Arkham Games, and without the Arkham Games, I would have probably never gotten into Batman in the first place, and he'd probably continue being a campy cornfest that nobody takes seriously other than comic book fans. So, I would never wish for a life without this movie, but the effect it had on Batman does not make this enjoyable as a whole, and it just ends up being a very boring experience. But you want to know what else this movie brought us? Batman Returns was released on June 16th, 1992, and is a follow-up to Batman 89, which by then had been a massive hit. Due to that, Tim Burton was given free reign to do whatever he wanted to do with this movie, and oh boy is it something! The movie follows the introduction of the Penguin, played by Danny DeVito, a deformed monster who lives under the sewer, and due to that has a hatred for Gotham City. Eventually, he rises onto the surface, and due to Christopher Walken's character, he ends up running for mayor. Yes, I say Christopher Walken's character because I have no idea who the fuck Max is, or what he does in this movie or universe. Anyways, the Penguin's campaign eventually gets ruined by Batman, so he finishes off his big plan, which is to capture all firstborns of Gotham and drown them in the sewers. Jesus Christ. All while this happens, you have Selina Kyle, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, becoming Catwoman after being fucking killed by Christopher Walken, then joining up with Cobblepot, seeking revenge on Walken, and falling in love with Batman. I have many fucking problems with this movie. Where do I begin? Michael Keaton is a massive downgrade in here than he was in 89. Here, he makes a ton of stupid faces throughout the scenes, like he's not even trying to take the part seriously anymore. And honestly, who could blame him when he's given dialogue like this? Eat floor. High fiber. Michelle Pfeiffer, while not being a bad actress, and when she plays Selena Kyle, it's actually pretty good and sometimes even enjoyable. I really liked the scene with her and Bruce during the meeting and the party, but when she's in the Catwoman costume, the movie just takes a fucking downward trip into pain town. Now, to be fair, her performance isn't that bad. She's kind of got the voice down, I guess. 
Her movement's a bit clunky, but that might just be a side effect from the suit. God, do you know what gets in the way of her performance? Making almost every scene she's in kind of painful? The writing. I don't know about you, Miss Kitty, but I feel so much yummier. I want to die. Half of this movie is full of sexual tension and love scenes because Catwoman's in it, so we have to have sex. And it's all written like a 12-year-old virgin's fanfiction on Wattpad. I mentioned in my Batman 66 review that Lee Merriweather would be more seductive than Michelle Pfeiffer, and even though some of my thoughts on Michelle changed after writing that line, I still believe it. Yeah, like I said, Michelle's kind of got the voice, but there's just something about her that doesn't do anything for me. It could be chalked up to her being given terrible dialogue, but Lee wasn't even given that much romantic dialogue, and she still pulled through with a tone that was kind of leaving me down the road that Arkham Catwoman leads me down. Side note, Grey Delisle's Catwoman performance is on another level. She is my definitive Catwoman. But, uh, yeah. Uh, also, speaking of the sexual tension, can Tim not be horny for five minutes? Jesus, fuck! I swear, there are a stupid amount of scenes in here that has women just being sexualized for a cheap laugh and played off as comedy. Hmm, yes, I love seeing Danny DeVito grope women. And once again, the terrible love dialogue. You might not let me kiss you. You know, the Bruce Vicky Vale love arc in 89 wasn't believable, but... At least it wasn't painful to sit through. And one final thing, Danny DeVito is a perfect casting choice for the Penguin. I could hear him speaking like the Penguin in the 66 movie, or the Penguin in the Arkham games, and he even has the body for it. But holy Christ, this design is awful. What? What can I say about this? It, 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 it's fucking hideous. And, and the Catwoman suit, holy shit, it looks so bad. It's like Tim just said, Fuck it to knowing anything about the characters that he's making a movie on. It just went, oh, this dude's named the Penguin. Alright, make him a human penguin with flippers for hands and eats raw fish. Oh, her name's Catwoman? Make her a human cat with nine lives. In fact, we'll kill her and have her get resurrected by cats, and then we'll have her clean herself like a cat! What the fuck is this shit?! Call me High Tops Films, because Batman Returns is a bad Batman movie. But going back to the Penguin, because I really need to mention this, this dude's a fucking incel. You get these scenes like him and Catwoman meeting, where he just radiates of this massive, creepy, disgusting pervert that I fucking half expected Chris Hansen to walk around the corner and tell him to take a seat. Or him being utterly gross, saying shit like, oh, I'm gonna give her my flipper. Or like, or like I said, Groping women. And he re oh god, and when he gets rejected by Catwoman, he gets so angry. Tells her she was putting out the signs and then tries to kill her. Hmm, yes, my penguin's an incel. There's very little pros I can give to this. First, while the bat suit in here is basically just a darker version of the 89 suit, I actually kind of like it more because of that. Second, there's a very rare comical scene that works, like the aforementioned Bruce and Selena scenes or even the scene between Selina and Christopher Walken right before she dies. Third, the opening scene is the only part of this movie that's good storytelling-wise. It opens the film with a bunch of questions that end up getting answered by the end of the movie. Who is his child? Oswald. Why did they scream? He's deformed. Why did they throw him away? Because he's deformed and they're rich, so they can't be seen having a child like that. And fourthly, of course, 
there's Danny Elfman's score, but eh, at the same time, it's it's just not as memorable as 89's. It's still good, but a Danny Elfman score can't make up for the two hours of pain I sat through. Overall, my biggest problem with this movie is just the fact that it's massively horny on Maine. And that's coming from a guy who made a song called West Coast Virgin and sims for a 2D character on the regular. But you know, I just don't go to Batman movies to watch softcore porn. And because this movie is basically Tim Burton trying to make a porno that he can show in theaters, I went out and watched actual porn released in 1992. And I can say for certain that it was not as painful. It was boring, don't get me wrong. I feel bad for the people in the 90s, but it wasn't painful. And to top it all off, you have this movie trying to be so dark and edgy and grown up because, hey guys, look, we have sex. But on top of the softcore cringy sex, you have really corny lines like this. Eat floor. Uh. High fiber. Corny acting, corny representation, and a fucking Wilhelm scream. It's a hard knock life for us. It's a hard knock life for us. After Batman Returns was met with massive backlash by Christian moms at the fault of McDonald's, which, by the way, did you know that their bacon and McMuffins turn anybody into a morning person and you can buy one meal and get a second one for just a dollar? Because I sure do. Into a morning person. Every day at McDonald's, buy one of your breakfast favorites and get one more for just a buck. And again. This way. <laughs> Any person. Are you fucking kidding me? Buy one of your breakfast favorites and get one more for just a buck. And again. This way. <laughs> Anyways, Warner kicked Tim Burton off the production of the third movie and brought along director Joel Schumacher to make a more child-friendly Batman film. And the result was Batman Forever, released on July 15th, 1995, which follows Batman, now played by Val Kilmer, trying to stop Two-Face, played by Tommy Lee Jones instead of Billy Dee Williams. Two-Face wants Batman dead and in the process teams up with the Riddler, played by Jim Carrey, and also ends up killing the Flying Graysons, giving us the Robin of this universe, played by Chris O'Donnell. All while Bruce falls in love with a lady named Dr. Chase Morandon, played by Nicole Kidman, and deals with the trauma of his past. Ooh boy, where do I begin? Okay, so let's take my comment on this universe. I, let's analyze that. Where the fuck is this? You got some of the same characters from the Tim Burton films, but then brand new characters and recasts, and a new Wayne Manor and Batcave, and Gotham looks kinda different, and then majorly different. So, I'm just gonna assume this is in the same universe as the Tim Burton films, just like everyone else does. Eh, this is a mess. Let's talk about the actors now, ooh boy. Val Kilmer as Batman was actually kind of good. Is he better than Michael Keaton? God no, but I thought him as Batman was pretty believable and pretty good for the most part, given the tone of this movie. Also, Kilmer had the nipples before Clooney, but Kilmer as Bruce is a different story. I just don't fucking see it, nor do I believe it in the slightest. Chris O'Donnell as Robin is... Honestly, I don't know, nor do I care. He's kind of a crybaby in here. 
for the most part, but how could I possibly expect good character representation from the same movie that does this to Two-Face? What the fuck is this? The makeup and design of his face is horrible, and he just acts like the Joker. You know who also acts like the Joker? Fucking Jim Carrey is the Riddler. Riddler's supposed to be this cocky embodiment of r slash I am very smart, but in here, they just made him some crazy fanboy of Bruce Wayne until he gets rejected, so he becomes insane, and it, it, it was specifically this moment where I knew that it was Riddler playing Jim Carrey. I mean, I, I guess if you're gonna have an insane fanboy, you either get Jim Carrey or Devin Sawa to play it, but... When you have both the villains in this movie acting the same and just acting like you bought Joker off of Wish, it, it doesn't make for a very enjoyable experience. As much as I wasn't a fan of the Tim Burton movies, I can at least give them props for developing the villains a lot better than this. And speaking of experience, this movie is BORING. And not Batman 89 boring, nah, I'm talking Return of the Caped Crusaders boring. This FEELS like two hours, and it doesn't help that, like I said, the two main villains are just the same person. And you also get really, REALLY bad love scenes and dialogue. You're trying to get under my cape, Doctor? <sighs> A girl can't live by psychosis alone. It's the car, right? Chicks love the car. Oh yeah, speaking of the dialogue, this is just camp. This is going back to the 66 movie, all the way down to the writing of the screenplay, and how shit will make absolutely no sense. But unlike in 66, where I could lose my mind over how stupid the movie is, here, it's just boring. I get no feeling out of this except for towards the end, where I'm just annoyed and progressively getting more angry that the movie won't fucking finish. It really is a lot like Return of the Cape Crusaders, where they try to be serious and campy at the same time. Yes, I am aware Cape Crusaders came out years after this one, but still. Also, the Batmobile is fucking stupid. I- I hate- I hate the third wing. It's so fucking dumb. It's like taking a Mini Cooper and slapping a salad bar wing onto it. There is literally no reason to do that other than you think it looks cool. But in all actuality, you just look fucking stupid. And when it's flapping around in the wind, it looks like it's fucking taped on cardboard. But I do have one more positive that I can go towards this movie. Other than Michael Goff as Alfred, because he's just an automatic plus to all these. Um, no. I'm talking about the choreography. Now, I usually don't talk about choreography or cinematography unless it's either really impressive or an abomination. Basically, if it makes me feel something in any way, I'll talk about it. And unpopular opinion number 752, the choreography in this movie is the best in the entire series. Yes, I would like to die on this hill, please. But there are two things that get in the way of this really good choreography, and that is the cinematography and the editing. Cinematography-wise, this thing is just Dutch angle after Dutch angle after Dutch angle, and every other shot is just a close-up of something that it makes the fight incomprehensible. And what doesn't help is the god-awful editing in these fights. Now, I'm a video editor, obviously, so editing is always important to me, especially in a film. And when every fight scene is constantly blasting through a hundred scenes per second that it looks like a guy with Parkinson's had a spasm attack while holding the cut tool in Premiere Pro, 
It's a giant fucking mess. I think I know where the editor for Catwoman got their inspiration from. But that's basically all the things I have to say about the movie. It has bad writing, bad editing, good choreography, and very, very rarely good acting. Overall, it's a boring movie. I, I would rather watch this over Returns, though, because I'll take boredom over pain, but Batman 89 is obviously more enjoyable. Like, what, what, what fucking question is that? That's like asking, would you like to play the Xbox One or the X Game Game Console Gifts TV Children Dual Game Pack Mini Portable Wired HDMI? I already know they're about to be PS4 fanboys in the comments. Like, <laughs> I take the game game console. <laughs> So since we're in game territory, I, I wonder what will happen next. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! Oh dear God! to the success of Batman Forever making the studio more money than Batman Returns did, they brought back Joel Schumacher to make yet another, even more campier movie. We have come full circle from 1966. I recall reading an interview with Joel Schumacher where he brought up how the making of Batman and Robin and probably Batman Forever, Warner Brothers wanted Joel to basically just make toys, and this movie was practically built off of toy designs, which it shows immensely. The movie follows Batman, now played by George Clooney, and Robin, played by Chris O'Donnell once again, stopping Mr. Freeze, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Ivy, played by Uma Thurman, from taking over Gotham. Throughout this movie, you get Dick being a crybaby, Ice Buns, and Alfred dying. And due to Alfred dying of, coincidentally, the same disease that's killing Noir Freeze, which is called McGregor disease. Yes, you heard that right. Ewan McGregor has turned to the dark side. Not only is he killing the men, but the women, and the children too. Alfred's niece, Barbara, played by Alicia Silverstone, comes into town and takes care of Alfred, which eventually leads her to find the Batcave and become Bat... Wait, wait, what? So you're telling me, Batgirl, aka Barbara Gordon, the daughter of James Jeffrey Jimbo Slice Gordon, aka Commissioner Gordon, is not actually a Gordon, and is actually a Pennyworth, and is related to Alfred. WHAT?! As I've mentioned before in my Harley Quinn reviews, I have no problem with change when it's executed properly. But when you take a significant part of Barbara's character, the factor that she works undercover with Batman while her dad is head of the police, and she can't tell him that and has to keep it a secret, when you take that very important factor and replace it with, oh, well, she's actually the niece of Alfred. That's what makes her related to Bruce Wayne. That's not how you should change a character. Batman doesn't have to be fucking directly related to everyone he ever works or beats up just so they can have a great character dynamic. That is not how any of this works. Bad writing. The reason why I didn't get this way with Two-Face and Forever is because you can change how a character acts and nine times out of ten, it's it's not gonna go well, but you can still do it. But when you change the origin of a character, including one that's so important that it makes the character... Yeah, that's when I kind of have a bit of a problem. And the cherry on top of the bad writing for this character, you get the bad acting of Alicia Silverstone. Every scene she's in fucking sucks. And by the end of the movie, when she's making her little, uh, I, I kicked Ivy's butt, it was all me. I was so fucking annoyed and tired of her character that I wanted to do this to her. 
moving on. George Clooney as Bruce Wayne is unbelievable. N not not in a positive way though. Like I genuinely just don't believe him. I I I don't know what it is, but I just don't see him as Bruce in the slightest. And him as Batman is uh is interesting. When I first saw this movie, I held the opinion that I could see Clooney as Batman. Then when I saw it again, I still held that opinion. But then I saw it for a third time, and I just kind of didn't. Yeah, there's the obvious criticism of how he never really changes his voice in and out of the suit, which I feel like could be fine as long as the voice sounds like Batman, but Clooney doesn't even bother creating a bad voice. Michael Goff as Alfred is always great. Like I said, he forever will be the best part about this whole quadrilogy. Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze is, uh, not good, but granted, Mr. Freeze in this movie is absolutely fucking dog shit. And the only time I actually liked Arnold and actually got a tad bit frightened was at the end when he's threatening Ivy. Loves me. Not surprise. I am your new cellmate. <laughs> and I've come to make your life a living hell. Prepare for a bitter harvest. Winter has come at last. It's like this scene was when Arnold was finally able to play the role he does best. The emotionless, soulless sociopath that only lives to kill people. Then there's Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. This is gonna be an unpopular opinion to have, but I think Uma Thurman was far more dominant and seductive than Michelle Pfeiffer. Kill him. Granted, Uma does get better written dialogue than Michelle, but she was still very believable. For, for the most part. Yeah, about a little over halfway into the movie, I noticed that Uma Thurman was just kind of slipping in and out of the seductive tone. I don't know if that's a choice on Schumacher's part, or if she just stopped caring by then, but that's probably my only complaint with her as Ivy. Wasn't really that big of a fan of her as the Doctor pre-Poison Ivy, but nonetheless, I thought she was a massive highlight in this dog shit movie. And finally, there's Robert Swenson as Bang. Now, I mean this with absolutely no disrespect towards Robert himself, but this Bane is utter fucking garbage. And it is hilarious. Some of the best moments I had while watching this is just Bane's dialogue and how absolutely fucking stupid it is. And step on it. It's a shame that his debut on the big screen is just the normie's perspective of Bane with absolutely no knowledge on the character, and Robert Swenson was a great body for it, so there's a possibility that if done right, he would have been a great Bane. Now, the movie overall is obviously trash. It defines the laws of physics and makes absolutely no sense. One ass shot was too many, let alone three. Every fight in this movie looks like it was the inspiration for Freddy vs. Jason. It is filled to the brim of Dutch ankles, especially during the pointless motorcycle race, which that's a great segue into saying this movie has terrible writing. It's this massively campy movie with only one good genuine joke in here. I can respect your opinion. Sadly, I'm not good at rejection. I'm afraid you'll have to die. Any other thing that can be found funny is just at the expense of how bad it is. And the biggest thing in this movie that is absolutely awful and ruins the entire movie altogether and doesn't give it a single chance of getting anything above a negative five 
is the bat nipples. Obviously, I'm joking because they really don't bother me. It's a factor in the Schumacher movies that makes absolutely no sense. Wow! If I had a nickel for every time and nipples, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice, right? But honest to God, if you look past the nipples, the suits aren't that bad. And not, not those ones. Those are horrendous. But the original Batman and Robin suits that they have for the majority of the film don't look too bad. The only other positive I can give towards this movie is that the editing and villain writing is a step up from forever, with the editing not being as abysmal, and at least the villains get their own personality, for better or worse. For the fact that I can get some positives out of this movie, I can't say it's a zero and the worst movie ever. It is a bad movie, and it's on the list of the worst, but the worst movie of all time isn't gonna have any positives to it. But there's also just the fact that I have such a joy watching it. Unlike Batman Forever, where it was flip-flopping back and forth between being serious and being corny, that I ended up just not being good enough to like it, but not being bad enough to hate it or laugh at it, resulting in a really boring experience, this movie knows it's corny. Like, like look at this. You can't tell me that a movie made in 97 did this and didn't know it was a massive joke. Also, Joel Schumacher went on record multiple times saying that when making the movie, he was just trying to make something lighthearted and fun. And I just have to say, if you think Joel Schumacher apologizes for this movie because he regrets everything, you're, you're wrong. In fact, according to an interview with GQ, he actually said this. I didn't. I mean, I don't know how it was interpreted. I didn't apologize again at all. I did years ago, I said I'm sorry if the fans were disappointed. There were a lot of fans that weren't, but of course there's no headline in that. Actually, the hard thing about doing interviews is I was laughing through the whole thing, and that never comes across. I thought, well, I hope I can entertain everyone again, and so I can't say I wish I hadn't made the movie because that's not true at all. I also think that audiences really have to understand, and I think they do, no one sets out to make a bad movie. People don't sit down and say, let's make a bad movie and disappoint everyone. There are all kinds of fans of any superhero, and it's kind of hard to please everybody. But that's okay. I had a ball making them, and I'm really glad I did them. But yeah, I'm, I'm not going to apologize anymore. And the apology that everyone points to is actually him just apologizing to the fans that weren't expecting that kind of movie, and basically saying, I'm sorry you were disappointed but he doesn't actually regret anything he did. Maybe I was just the only one who thought he did, but I, I thought I'd point it out either way. Clooney, on the other hand, regrets it. I've never done a film, well, I did one film, uh, Batman and Robin, which was a, yes. Oh, no. oh, thank you. This is a disaster. But didn't you apologize to the crowd at Comic-Con for Batman and Robin? I always apologize for Batman and <laughs> Robin. I thought, at the time, this was gonna be a very good career move. Um, it wasn't. But they're, they're about to be re-released again on 4K, and there's oh, still are. this strange fascination. Why? I wasn't a very good Batman. I was, I'm the first one to say it. But if it's good for drinking games, then that's worth something. There's something salvaged out of that mess. For sure. You don't want to see the George Clooney version of Batman and Robin? You know, honestly, I could I could take a crack at it. Um, I'd have to get uh, a sandpaper and take down my nipples, you know. But then other than that, I think I'd be ready for it. But I, I can only, you know, impart my wisdom from my experience. And I, I just said, don't have nipples on the suit. Will you ever revisit that movie? You would never watch that movie again. No, or... that would I, I, it's, it's so bad that 
um, it actually hurts to watch. It's physically, like you'll be flipping the channels and just, it'll just pop up and I'm like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is I was bad in it. And you know, it's a terrible- Can you like, imagine if we had like ads on TV campaigning against other actors for roles right. and stuff? Like <laughs> over actor, you know? Yeah. Like, like Did you see him in that film? <laughs> It would just be shots of me in a rubber suit and a Batman outfit. <laughs> and I can't blame him, but that's besides the point. Anyways, like I said, we've gone full circle and we're back in 1966 where I love watching this movie because it's so funny. It's not consistently funny though, because there are scenes that are just boring or feature Alicia Silverstone. But for the most part, I had a good time watching it and I'd probably watch it again with a friend. Overall, I don't think these movies aged well. I can understand how amazing Batman and even Batman Returns would have been when they originally came out, but seeing them now after everything we've gotten, they just come out either boring or painful. And then when it comes to the Joel Schumacher films, somehow the film that everyone hated was the film that aged well the most. It's also interesting reading about the cancelled sequels. There was Batman Continues that would have been the Tim Burton follow-up to Batman Returns featuring Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer as Batman and Catwoman, and also including Billy D. Williams reprising his role for Harvey, who would then become Two-Face, Marlon Wayne as Robin, and also having Scarecrow in the movie, which honestly would have been insane to see a Scarecrow Nightmare Land created by Tim Burton. I can only imagine the amount of stop-motion scenes. Oh god, and, and I also found this giant rabbit hole of fan wiki pages where this dude just wrote out the entire Burton Batman universe that goes all the way to fucking 2028 with 14 main films and 5 spin-offs. I- I- I don't know what the fuck any of this is, other than it's on Batman Fan on Wiki, so God, I hope nobody is dumb enough to use this as a source. Ah, but then again, people use fucking We Got This Covered as a source, so God can only imagine. And then there was Batman Unchained, or Batman Triumphant, I-I- they're kinda- they're the same movie, just different titles. Uh, which would have been the follow-up to Batman and Robin, featuring a whole ton of reprised roles and new roles, and honestly, I'm glad it wasn't made. I can only imagine the shitfest it would have been, and I also heard somewhere that LL Cool J was gonna be Scarecrow, and that Harley would have been Joker's daughter, which what the fuck? And then because of Unchained getting scrapped due to Batman and Robin's poor reception, supposedly there was gonna be a different version of that story called Dark Knight, which my god that spelling is fucking stupid. But that movie was supposedly gonna have a more darker tone given how it would have been on Halloween and being made behind Joel's back, but it also got scrapped because of Batman and Robin and just because Warner wanted to put this universe to a halt and after a failed year one adaptation and live action Batman Beyond just put live-action Batman movies as a whole on hold until a good script came along. Uh, take what I just said with a massive grain of salt, though, because the only source I could find about Unchained and Dark Knight was on Fandom, and their source for Unchained was a Netforia forum post, and their source for Dark Knight was a fucking Amazon product. Anyways, I'm sorry for going down that massive rabbit hole, <laughs> but the only movies I would recommend is Batman 89 to at least see Batman getting darker in the mainstream, and also just because, like, fucking Jack Nicholson's Joker is amazing. And Batman and Robin solely if you want to have a fun time with some friends. And the other two, I would just avoid. There's absolutely no reason to watch them. <laughs>